Welcome to the study of God's Word, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. This is, uh, I don't know how many times I've been here, but the first time I came, I was blessed to come when the church was still meeting in a school. How many of you were around when the, the school days were there? Those were great days. I, I appreciate school days for churches. Our church met in a, a school for many years, and, and they call that doing your time because you, you, it's just so much work, you know, bringing everything in, taking everything out. It's a little extra work. And, and then obviously many of you have jumped in after, and I always look at ministry like you're catching waves. It's like surfing. I come from California. And so, you know, you catch waves, and sometimes the waves are smaller, and you, you appreciate those small waves, but then the waves get bigger. And wherever you jump in, it's just fun to be riding the wave. And I, I just love what God is doing here in your midst it's a blessing to see. It's a blessing to, to just have friendship with you, uh, have friendship with your pastor, and to know that, you know, even in Calvary Magazine, you know, there's a partnership. What you guys have created, we've been able to use, and, and if 75 kids gave their lives to the Lord and got encouraged by that, I'd say amen and praise the Lord. That's God working, and we should be excited about that. And so if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn in them to John chapter 15 today. John chapter 15. I love the fact that, you know, from the very first time I came here many years ago, I think it was like 2004, to now today, 2018, that's 14 years, I still sense that same love that I sensed that very first time. The same thing I see in so many of the Calvaries and the Calvaries that I visit is that you see that love for the Lord, you see that appreciation for His Word, and through that you see the love for one another, and that's really what today's message is all about. You probably all know the song. We've all heard it. Classic song by the Beatles, released in 1967 during this time where there was this movement. You know, cultures have these movements, these times where things just seem to come together. And it was called The Summer of Love, and the Beatles wrote for that Summer of Love a song, and you probably all know it even if you weren't around in 1967. I was three years old. And some of you certainly weren't around, and some of you might remember that Summer of Love. Some of you might have even been there. But in 1967, the Beatles released a song called All You Need Is Love. Does anybody not know that song? Everybody knows All You Need Is Love. In fact, right now you're singing it in your head. All You Need Is Love. And, and so come on back because I want you to think about something. This song that became a number one hit throughout the world, worldwide, kind of a, a classic on this subject of love written by the Beatles, all you need is love, but there's a little problem because three years later, after writing All You Need Is Love, the Beatles broke up. They, they didn't stay together. They, they had the idea that all you need is love, but they really didn't know what it was to really be loving. And I learned a couple things about that. Number one, it's easier to sing about things than it is to actually do them. You can sing about love all day long, but to really love, that's a different animal altogether. And the second thing is this, the, the world's understanding of love is vastly different than God's idea of love. So the Beatles could sing about all you need is love, and there's love songs on the radio all day long, but the world's idea of love is different. It doesn't understand all the dynamics of love that you and I as believers growing in a relationship with the Lord start to understand. In fact, 
I know this is review for the overwhelming majority of you, but there's probably a few of you here that don't understand some of the nuances of the way love is used in the Bible. So I'm just, so everybody's on the same page. Just understand that if you didn't know this already, in the Bible there's multiple words in the original language for the word that we use called love. There's at least four. The four are these. The first is the word eros, E-R-O-S. And that word eros is, is where we would get the English word erotic from. It's the idea of not necessarily a bad love, but let's just call it a very physical love. It's a physical love. And it's a love that almost anything living understands. Even your dog understands eros. How do you know? Well, how many of you have a dog here? Dog owners, oh, there's a lot here. Okay. You know when you're giving your dog that, that scratch on his belly? And you hit that spot, that magic spot, where all of a sudden you can tell his leg is kick-starting his motorcycle and he's so happy. That is eros, okay? That is a physical, again, not bad necessarily, but that's kind of the lowest form of love. And then there's the word philos, P-H-I-L-O-S, philos. And that is a brotherly kind of love, kind of like the word Philadelphia, the city of Philadelphia, that's the city of brotherly love. Philos is a strong, it's a powerful love, but it is known as a brotherly love. It's a deep love. And then there's the word storge, S-T-O-R-G-E, storge. That is a, a family kind of love. It's an affectionate kind of love. And then the last love is the love that we're going to be trying to delve into today. It's the word agape, A-G-A-P-E. In that agape love, that is a word that was in the Greek language, obviously before the Bible was around, but was very rarely used because nobody understood it. It was the highest and the deepest of all loves. It, it, it was a love that really became popular when the Christians realized, you know, this agape love, this is really the kind of love that we see from God. This is a kind of love as a Christian, we can say, I get that. I can see descriptions of that. I have pictures of that. And so agape love is really that, that deepest kind of love. And so when we understand that there's all these different kinds of love, the world is stuck because the idea of agape love is, again, very foreign. So what are you left with? You're left with eros kind of love. You're, you're left with philos kind of love. You're left with storge kind of love. And, and so they don't understand all the terminology. They don't understand the depth of love. They, they don't understand the vocabulary of love and the meaning of love. And they don't even know, as Willie Nelson said, looking for love in all the wrong places. Yeah, they look for love in the wrong places. They don't know where to find it. And, and so in this, we see that the world has no concept of this highest form of love. And it's this very love that changes things. It changes the world. It changes people's lives. In fact, I had an interesting conversation with one of the brothers before service, and it reminded me of something. He's ministering to some of the refugees, the Muslims, and, and, and these Muslim kids are blown away at what he's doing because he's just loving them. And it reminded me of a book my wife read uh, a number of years ago. It just, it, it just really spoke to me. Because this book is called something like The Unexpected Journey. And what it did was chronicling the, the ways that different people got saved. And so there was, there was Muslims, and there was atheists, and there was Satan worshipers, and from every different group, people that were in these things and then got saved. And the one thing 
that really remained true across the board for all these people from every different background that have become born-again Christians is what won them over was love. It wasn't a person arguing with them. It wasn't a person proving a point. It was the fact that people came along and loved them in the name of Jesus, and now they're born again. And so this love is powerful. This love is a life-changing love. It makes a difference in the world. My wife and I, we celebrated 20 years, 28 years actually of marriage last month. Our anniversary was January 13th. And I really wish I could have brought her along, but our scheduler is so busy right now that she can't leave multiple weekends in a row. And we got something going next weekend, so she had to stay home because I would love to bring her here because, you know, I appreciate the applause, but she deserves it. She's the one. She is so amazing. She's put up with me for 28 years now. And, and believe me, it, it's, it hasn't been an easy thing. There have been battles. There have been struggles along the way. But one thing I know, and I told her this, I blasted this out on social media for everyone to know, is it's been 28 years. I love her with all my heart, and I would do it again in a moment the way we've done it. It's been amazing. And that is the kind of love that happens when people are learning of agape love. It's his love, it's his power, it's his truth. Now, as we dive into the scriptures today, I know I caught you and you're kind of like, we're just diving into a particular section. So I want to set a little, a little background for you, a little context so you know what's going on. Here in John, it's John, this whole section from John 13 on to about I don't know, 17 or 18, is such an amazing section of Scripture because it's focusing on a very brief period of time from the period where the, the Last Supper is ended to basically the point where they go to the garden and then ultimately Jesus is arrested. And so multiple chapters de dedicated to really a, a, a small amount of hours in the life of Jesus, and they're very serious hours. They're very intense hours. This is... These are, these are the things that Jesus would say as, as he, is, he knows he's hours away from the cross. And, and so as the Last Supper is ended, and as John 14 ends, he says, let's leave this place. And so they're leaving that upper room, and right now they are walking by night through Jerusalem on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane. And so if you can picture that, that Jesus is walking and he's talking to his guys, knowing that his execution, the cross, is only hours away. Things that are going to change their lives forever. He is taking this time to kind of instill and impart into his guys the most meaningful messages that he can. The things that he doesn't want them ever to forget. And that's the setting behind what we're going to be studying and looking at kind of in depth today. And, and so verses 12 through 17 is really describing the relationship that we are to have with one another. And that is a relationship of love. That's why I titled today's message, All You Need Is Love. Because we're going to dig in today to one of the, it is the, the greatest of commands. The greatest of commands, the one that tops them all, is simple to love. And so if you're a note-taker today, there are going to be three sections we're going to look at, starting in verse 12. Verse 12 and 13 is the first section. And I would describe this section as the true nature of love. 
The true nature of love. And what is that true nature of love? Well, let's dive right into it. Beginning in verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And so, interesting thought. This is my commandment that you love one another. Question for you. Can you command love? Can you command somebody to love? I command you to love me. I command you to love. I would say yes and no. No in the sense that you can't command somebody to have a feeling or an emotion of love. You can't command them to do that because that, that's dealing with something within the heart and, and we can't control that from outside. And so you can try. You can, you can be that, that person, that parent that says, as they've got two little fighting kids, which kids do, they fight all the time. And as a parent, I've, I've raised four kids, and, and you think, man, why don't you love one another more? Why isn't there love? Your family, why don't you love one another? And the reason is, they're little sinners, and they fight with one another. And, and so you could have those two little kids, and they're just going at it, and the older's beating up on the younger, and you can finally say, listen, you need to love your little brother. You will love your little brother. Hug your brother and tell him you love him. And so you can, you know, you have the power to do that. And he could be hugging that little brother, but you know what? On the outside, he's hugging him. On the inside, he's slapping him down because you, you can't control that. You can't command that kind of love. But you know what? We're talking about something very different. The love we're talking about here is an act of the will, not a feeling. And that's what the true nature of love is. The first thing is, it's not a feeling, it's an act of the will or a decision. It's not a feeling, it's a decision. It's not an emotion, it's a volition. And because of that, then yes, it can be commanded. You can make a choice to love because it's not the way I feel. It's the what I know is right to do. And when we know it's right to do, then you know what, and we do it, then so often a beautiful thing happens. The, the feelings and emotions that we want to be connected with love happen. They do. I, I believe that's what Jesus was referring to and kind of inferring when in Luke 12, verse 34, he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What, what you choose to treasure, you know what, your heart, your feelings, they're going to follow along with those things. And so often, this is where the world gets it wrong. They turn it upside down. The world, unfortunately, they don't understand the scriptures. They don't understand the way God loves. And so what they're stuck with is we have feelings that ultimately bring about commitment. You meet somebody, you're attracted to them, you start hanging out with them, you like them, they like you, you be, and then all of it, the feelings are there, and so it's now, you know what? I'm yours. I love you. You know, and, and this is it. We're, we're in this for the long, but see, the, the commitment flowed from the feelings. And, and that's going to be a problem because when the feelings determine the commitment, 
then what happens when the feelings aren't there anymore? Because feelings change. In fact, Hollow Notes wrote a song about that, right? Long time ago. I know all these old songs in my head. You lost that loving feeling. That's what happens. People lose that loving feeling. And when that loving feeling goes bad, then what happens so often is, you know what? Then the commitment goes along with it. It's gone. God does something so different. He bases his love on commitment. And from commitment, then you know what? The feelings then flow and develop. And it's such a beautiful thing. And so you might be here today and, and you might be experiencing something that, like that right now. That happens. Where, where you are in a, mar- a marriage or, or, or you know, there, there's just this relationship and all of a sudden the feelings aren't there anymore. And because there's a, a drifting apart, because we're starting to go our separate ways, and, and you know, it could be hard because it's just life drifts us apart. And so now the kindness, the compassion, all these things that would be loving, they're not happening anymore. Why? Because I'm just not feeling it anymore. That's what people say. I'm just not feeling it. And if you're in that marriage right now where you feel like, you know what, we're just drifting apart. We're not as close as we used to be. He does his thing. I do my thing. Then you know what? I want to suggest to you that not because of the feelings but out of obedience to the Lord. You say, you know what? I'm going to do what the Lord wants me to do in this marriage. I'm going to do what the Lord's... I'm going to be loving. I'm going to be compassionate. I'm going to be kind. Because if you wait for the feelings to come, they might never happen. But when you say, you know what? I'm just going to do what I know the Lord wants me to do. You watch, and you'll see that, you know what? The Lord can ignite those feelings again. And it can come back and it can be better because feelings change, commitment doesn't. You know, in the 28 years of my, my marriage, there have been times that, you know, we've always, my wife and I have always loved one another, but I can assure you there are times she didn't like me very much. I, I could hear her saying, she didn't ever say this, but in her mind she's saying, I love you, but I don't like you right now. That happens. But you see, that commitment is there. And so when we go through those difficult times, those disagreements, those times when we're not seeing eye to eye, you know what? The Lord always brings us back because the commitment is there and, and the feelings come back as well. And, and man, I just really love my wife. We are so blessed. And so there are times that you just have to switch it around. Now in verse 13, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. And so the second thing we learn about this true nature of love is not only is it a decision, but it is sacrificial. That's the nature of the love that we're talking about. He says, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. And what kind of love is that? Well, he's going to prove it. He's going to lay down his life for his friends. And so true love, this kind of love, is sacrificial. John Knox, the man that brought revival to the nation of Scotland, his prayer was this. His prayer was, Lord, give me Scotland or I die. That's a pretty intense prayer, right? Give me Scotland. How many people have prayed, give me Colorado or I die? 
I don't know, not maybe too many, maybe you have, and I think that's not a bad prayer. But what, the Lord, what he shares that the Lord spoke to his heart about this prayer, give me Scotland or I die, is the Lord spoke to him and said, first die, then I'll give you Scotland. I mean, that's the key, right? The key is if we're willing and ready to die to ourselves because that's when things happen. As long as self is in the first position, we're going to have a problem. But when we're ready, when we're willing to lay down our life and walk in love, then you know what? That is when we can demonstrate to the people around us this is what it is to be loved. Because think about it, if we really love people like that, man, that is so powerful. But here's the problem. The problem is we live in a very self-absorbed society. Our society is so consumed with self. You can find books on self-help, self-improvement, self-fulfillment. Our cameras take selfies. You know, it's all about self. In fact, I, I'm not certain, I don't like have this inside information or anything, but I suspect that one day, we're going to take, people are going to be selling iPhones or phones, cell phones, and you know how the, they've got two cameras now. The first time I saw somebody taking a camera and shooting pictures of themselves, it was at a wedding. I was amazed. I was at a wedding, I was officiating a wedding, and a person in the front row, this young girl, took a camera out, and she was taking pictures of herself with her camera, and I thought, I cannot believe I'm seeing what I'm seeing. She's at a wedding taking pictures of herself. Little did I know, years later, I'd have a camera with a phone facing me, and I'd be taking pictures of myself. And it's like, we do that. But I suspect one day, the rear-facing camera, the camera that takes selfies, is actually going to be better than the camera that takes the pictures from the front. Because somebody's going to figure out that nobody wants to take pictures of waterfalls and mountains and, and forests and trees if they're not in it. And so they're, gonna, they're just going to make the best camera the one that takes selfies. Now, I may be right, I may be wrong, but the day that happens, you're going to look back and say, you know, that old Pastor Ray, he was a lot smarter than he looked. Yeah, he, he got that one right on the head. Because I think we are going more and more towards this self-absorbed, like I'm totally into myself society, and that really goes against the grain of what God is calling us to do and the kind of love that he demonstrates to us. In fact, there's a great example of the kind of love that God demonstrates and calls us to do, and that's in the book of Romans chapter 5. So I'm going to have you hop over there for a moment with me. The book of Romans chapter 5, and we're going to look at verses 6 through 10. Romans chapter 5. Let's start at verse 6. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. Paul writes this, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And so that is the kind of love 
that God demonstrates. This is what Jesus says, I want you to love as I have loved. And that's a pretty heavy calling because this is that sacrificial love. If you have kids and you were faced with the decision of my children's life or my life, I think all of us would say, take my life, you know, spare my kids. That's an easy decision. Paul points out that, you know, for a good man, someone would even dare to die. There's people that because of their importance or their significance or, or their accomplishments, hey, you know what, people would give their life to that person. There are even people that will lay down their life for a stranger. But how many of us would lay down our life for an enemy? How many of us would lay down our life for a person that hates us, wants us to fail, wants our lives ruined, wants nothing to do with us? How many of us would lay down our lives for a person like that? And I would say, you know what, probably none of us. That is, though, the kind of love that God is demonstrating. And that is the love that God says, I want you to grow into by the power of the Holy Spirit to express a love that is so different from this world. A love that loves its enemies. Because if we have that kind of love, think about it, who in the world will we ever have an issue with? Who would we have a problem with? Now, I don't want to say this like, this is not even real, because I have people in my life that are tough to love, just like you do. They're real hard to love. And it has to be, Lord, give me your strength, your love to love these people because I don't have it in myself. I don't have that kind of love. But by the power of your Holy Spirit, that love can come out of us. And, and that's what he's calling us to do. Now in verses 14 and 15, this is the second section, there's a new relationship in love. Notice verse 14 of John 15. He says, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. I've called you friends. And so there is something that happens here when we walk in this loving relationship. He says, I'm not calling you servants anymore, I'm calling you friends. Now, you have to understand that in the Roman Empire, in the times that Jesus was walking the earth, the servant was the lowest person on the totem pole. They were the lowest in status. On the other hand, the friend was the highest. That was the highest status you could accomplish. The highest thing you could call somebody is a friend because a friend had proven themselves loyal. They had proven themselves dedicated. And so it's the idea of you're kind of brought into this inner circle. And so he says, I'm not calling you servants anymore. I'm calling you friends. Now, I just paused at that for a second. I thought, you know what? Being the servant would be good enough. Being the servant would be good enough. Psalm 84.10 says this. It says, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand, and I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. And the idea there is, I would rather just be a simple, humble servant in the house of God. I'd be opening the doors and blessing people as they walk into fellowship and, and worship. That would be better than to dwell in the tents of the wicked in luxury and comfort and ease. He says, no, to be a servant for the Lord is better. And so many of you know that. To serve the Lord is better. But here's the cool thing. While we remain servants... He says, but I've upgraded you. I'm calling you a friend. 
And as a friend, notice what he goes on to say in verse 15. For all things that I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. And so you are brought on the inside. You are now owners and recipients of things that God says, I want to share with you as my friends. Now, how many, in the, how many people in the Bible are called the friends of God? Pop quiz for Calvary Chapel Aurora. Whoever gets this gets a nothing. I don't have any <laughs> gold star or something. How many people are called the friend of God in the Bible? Name one. Moses. Very good. In the back, where is that? Luke, Exodus 33. It says that, you know, God spoke to Moses as a man speaks to his friend face to face. Very good. And the second person is? Abraham. Very good. Abraham. And, and I love in Genesis 18, the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? And of course, the implied answer is no. God is not going to hide from Abraham the things that God is going to do. Psalm 25, uh, 14 says this, the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. And so understand this. You have a relationship with God where he wants to reveal things to you. Now, I believe he primarily reveals things to us through this, through his word. And, and this is, you want to know the future? Get into his word. It'll tell you. You want to know what to do? How to live life? Get into this. It'll tell you. But there are those times, there are those situations where it's like, well, you know what? The Bible isn't really clear about everything. There are times that we face situations that we need to hear what the Lord wants us to do or we want to hear his voice towards us because we don't know clearly what he wants us to do. And as a pastor, hey, pray for your pastors. Pray for your leaders. And of course, ask prayer for yourself because we're all faced with those things where I just, I want to please the Lord. I want to do the right thing. But I just don't know what that is. Sometimes things get clouded. They, they get blurry. Now, now, this is Super Bowl Sunday, and I know that probably most people have a, a plan of some kind for Super Bowl, and, and I am so blessed to be here with you and see so many of you here on a Super Bowl Sunday, because Super Bowl Sundays are not great for me. They bring back some weird memories, some bad memories. Years ago, when we had just started our church back in California, you know, we had, uh, you know, we had to move out of the little building we were in. They, they were going to tear it down. We had to move into a school. And we're meeting in this school cafeteria, and brother, sister, it was cold. It was like 50 degrees. We were dying in there. We were freezing. We, you know, Californians don't handle the cold real well. What is that white stuff coming out of the sky this morning? I didn't see that. So, so we're meeting in this cafeteria. It's cold, and, and, you know, people would come to church looking like they were coming to a football game. Literally, they would come with seat cushions and, and blankets because... It's cold, man, 50 degrees. And this particular Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday, I don't know why, but for one reason or another, people just need to come to church. And it's one of those moments where everybody faces the fact that I'm a failure. I, I just don't know if I can do this anymore. And that was my day. It was Super Bowl Sunday years ago. And so we made it through the service with the handful of... It, it, a pastor looking at a sea of empty chairs, you're going to be, you're going to have a long day. And so when it was all done, 
I, I just went home and I just didn't know what to do. And so I told my wife, hey, you know, I, I'm just going to, I'm going to drive down to the beach because that's what Californians can do. You know, it's 70 degrees at the beach right now in Southern California, 80 degrees inland. See, that's what I'm used to. Californians are wimps when it comes to weather. I'll admit that. But, but I said, I'm just going to drive down to the beach. I'm going to think. And as I was driving the freeway, heading to the beach, it was like, it couldn't be more clear to me. It's like, you know that moment where it's like you don't, don't hear an audible voice from God, but it's as close as you're ever going to get. I heard the Lord just speak to my heart, listen, I don't want you to go to the beach. I want you to go to Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. Now, that didn't make any sense to me because I never attended Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. I got saved at Calvary Downey, like your pastor did. I fellowshiped at Calvary Downey. Uh, I knew the pastors there. I had a bunch of friends there. It would make much more sense for me to stop at Calvary Downey than Costa Mesa. But it was just clear, I want you to go to Calvary, Costa Mesa. So I did. Pulled into service. Service is already started. In those days, when Pastor Chuck was teaching, if you didn't make it on time, the doors closed, you didn't get in. So what you would do is you would sit outside. They have, gla they have a glass wall sanctuary so you could see in from the outside. They would pump the, the message through speakers into the courtyard, and so that's what you did. So there where I was. I was sitting by myself, listening to Pastor Chuck, and it was an amazing thing that happened. Because here in this moment where I thought, you know what, I, I, I don't know why I did this. I, I, I'm just ready to quit. I'm ready to give up. Pastor Chuck was teaching through Matthew 14. And Matthew 14 describes how that time where Peter and the other disciples were on the boat, in the water, the storm was coming, and Jesus comes to them walking on the water. And we all know that story so well. On the Sea of Galilee. And how Jesus bids Peter, come out, come out onto the water. And, and Peter steps out of the boat and walks to Jesus on the water. And yes, we know he sank, but Jesus was there to pick him up as soon as he cried out for help. And then Pastor Chuck started to elaborate on that and apply that. How Peter took risks that nobody else was taking. You know, nothing ventured, nothing gained. And you know, he got out of the boat. He took the chance. And yes, he risked failure, but you know what? The Lord was there to catch him. And you know, that was the word for me. That was the Lord. The Lord instructed me. He spoke to me. He got me there. So at that point, and from that point on, although there have been frustrating times and difficult times in the ministry, no doubt, I've never had a moment where I questioned my calling and question whether this is what I'm supposed to be doing, as hard as it can be at moments. And why did he do that? He did it because we're friends. And that's what he does with us. He meets us as friends. He speaks to us as friends. He loves us. Well, lastly, verses 16 and 17. Third section, the great expectation of love. What does God expect us to do in this love relationship with him? Well, notice verse 16. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Now, I just want you to stop and dwell on that for a minute. We didn't choose him. He chose us. You know, there are people in this world that you don't have a choice to love. They're called family. 
And, and they're there, and, you know, because they're family, you got to love them. I think B.B. King, that great blues legend, wrote a song that captured the idea in a humorous way kind of well. He, he wrote a song that says, Nobody loves me but my mother, and she could be jiving too. <laughs> that is the kind of love that, you know, it's like that is family love. It's expected. But friendship... That's voluntary. We choose our friends. They choose us. And so when Jesus says, I choose you as a friend, just stop and dwell on that for a minute because most of you, I would say the majority of you don't have any problem with the love of God and the acceptance of God. You're blessed by it. You're encouraged by it. You, you embrace it. You love it. And, and we should. But in a group this size, there's almost always a few that really struggle with the love of God. And they struggle with the acceptance of God. They, they can look back and go, you know what, I'm so dirty. I've done so many things that are wrong. I've done so many things that are offensive to God. I've hurt other people. And I don't see how God could love me. I'm here, but I don't get it. And, and so just to rest in that love is a very difficult thing for some people. And I just want you to understand. I want you to stop and dwell on the fact that he chose you. He chose you. Go back and read Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, where it says, you are accepted in the beloved. In Christ, you are accepted. No, it's not of me. I love the songs. We sang one of them. I can't remember the exact words, but basically saying, I'm a sinful man, but you love me anyway. And that is amazing to me. That is the kind of love that we stop and say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for that. And so he loves us. But in that love, in that relationship, his purpose is this. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and your fruit should remain that whatever you ask, in the ask the Father in my name, he may give you. And so he's appointed you. He has ordained you to go and bear fruit, to have some, some outgrowth out of the being rooted in a relationship with him, having his love flow through you. There's going to be fruit. There's going to be fruit in your family. There's going to be fruit in your church. There may be fruit in your workplace, in your neighborhood, wherever it is, but God has called us and ordained us to bear fruit for him, to bear fruit in his name. In verse 17, these things I command you that you love one another. And so we end where we began. We began with the commandment to love, he ends with the commandment to love. He says, I command you to love one another. Love one another. It's so simple. And yet, what a challenge, because we live in a day of disconnection. Love one another. We live in a day where because of our, our phones and our digital this and electronic that, that we can be so distant from one another. Our friends are people that are friends on Facebook. And, and our friends are people that we like their things on Instagram. And that's friendship. 
And it's, it's really shallow. I'm not against these things. I'm not against social media. I think there's a place, and it's just the culture we live in. And, and I'm not saying avoid it or don't use it. That's between you and the Lord. But understand that if that defines our relationship with people, man, it's, it's pretty weak. We love one another. We encourage one another. We, we lift one another up. We pray for one another. See, these are all things that we do for one another, which means we need to be around one another. We can't be disconnected from each other. But when we're around one another and loving one another, he says, you got it. You fulfilled that greatest command. And so, you can close up your Bibles. What happens when we obey this command? When we say, okay, Lord, if the true nature is a decision of sacrificial love, and in doing that, good fruit comes out of it. What happens? Well, one thing that happens is this. You become his friends. He says, you're upgraded. You go from servants to friends. Number two, you become fruitful. You start seeing fruit come out of your life. And the thing that's beautiful about the fruitful Christian is this. You don't strain for it. It's not like you grit your teeth and, and you know, you just suck it up and I'm going to bear fruit even if it kills me. You just bear fruit because you're abiding in the vine, Jesus Christ. It just happens as you love people, as you obey the Lord and do what he calls you to do. Fruit happens. And third, life gets very simple. Life is simple. And, and me, I'm a simple man. I like things simple. The, the, the KISS philosophy really works for me. You know what that is, right? The K-I-S-S philosophy of life. Keep it simple, sister. <laughs> Keep it simple, sonny. Keep it simple, saint. Just keep it simple. How simple is it? Jesus says it's simple. Love God. Love him with everything you got, your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, because if you're loving God that way, you're not going to do anything that, to, that offends him. Because I love the Lord. I'm not going to do anything that offends him. And he says, love your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself, because if you don't want to be ripped off, if you don't want to be lied to, if you don't want to be cheated, if you don't want to be taken advantage of, because I don't like that, then you know what? In love, I'm just going to love other people that way. If, if I love it when people are a blessing to me and they're kind to me and they're merciful and they're helpful, then you know what? I'm going to love people that way. And so life gets really simple. Just love. All you need is love. John, the writer of the Gospel of John, the book of Revelation, the epistles of John, he was so moved by this simple teaching. It was so ingrained in him that Jerome writes and records that as John was taken in his, his, you know, golden years in the last parts of his life, and he was taken from church to church, and they would literally carry him from church to church, he was so old, that he would get before the people and he would just say, little children, love one another. Little children, love one another. Little children, love one another. After a while, the, the people that his disciples, the people, they would get a little troubled, like, why do you just give us that same message over and over 
and over again. And his response was real simple. Little children, love one another. Because it is the commandment of the Lord. And to love one another, that's sufficient. And so, walk in love. Why? He loved you first. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again. And we do pray, Lord, that as we wrap up this time, we we recognize that, Lord, we can be here because you loved us first. And you loved us foremost. And out of that, we simply respond to your love. Your love is so good for us. It's a love that would put your son on a cross for people that didn't love you back, that were your enemies, people that offended you and did all these terrible things because that's the nature of your love. And so, Lord, as your kids, help us to walk in your love. And Lord, before we leave, we pray if there's anybody in this place today that has yet to encounter this love that you have, or perhaps today they find themselves very distant from this love that you have. Lord, I know that you're drawing people into a simple, simple relationship, and that's a relationship of faith by coming to the cross and receiving your mercy, your forgiveness, your compassion. And so, Lord, if there's people here and and they're carrying that awful weight of condemnation today, that awful weight of guilt, that burden, Lord, may they come to you today and lay that junk at the cross and receive your mercy and your kindness and your forgiveness. Lord, I pray for the congregation here, for the person that has come here maybe by invitation or maybe they've come in off the street or maybe they've been investigating for a while and and today is the day the bible says today is the day of salvation that you're calling them to a relationship of love and a relationship of faith if you're here this this morning and you would say yeah that's me and i'm ready to open my heart and and just surrender to him and and say i want to walk with you i want to live for you If you're ready to do that, Jesus already proved his love for you. He went to a cross and he died for you. He loves you that much. He chose you. And so if you're ready to respond to that, I'm going to ask you right where you're at. Would you stand up out of your chair, get to your feet? I'd like to pray for you right now. You would say, yeah, you know what? That is me. I'm ready to open my heart and receive the love of God in my life. To be washed clean and get a new beginning. And so that's you right now, right where you're at. I know it's a tough decision. It's not an easy one. But if you're here, you know, you sense, you know what, God is tugging on my heart that I need to make this right with him today. Then you come to him and receive him. And so that's you right now, right where you're at. I'm going to ask you to get up out of your seat, stand to your feet. We'll pray together. I want to lead you in that prayer. I'll give you the words to say. You'll just need to repeat them. But if that's you right now, the Lord loves you and he's calling you. And so right where you're at, I'm going to ask you to get up out of your seat, stand to your feet, and we'll pray. I'll give you a moment to think about it, because I know it's a decision that you have to kind of wrestle with a little bit. But just the fact that you're wrestling with it should tell you something, that you're here and he's working on your heart.
And so that's you right now. I'm going to ask you right where you're at. Get up out of your seat. Stand your feet. I want to lead you in prayer. Father, we are just so blessed, Lord, that today is a day that you brought us together as a family to come together to worship you, to hear from you, to be filled by you, and then leave this place, Lord. And so we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your kindness. Send us out with your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.